I'd just like a mini reading. It's quite an honor to talk to you again. Thank you so much. All right, well, Andre, thank you. It's, uh, it's very enlightening. That's true, and I, and I know better. Yeah, you're right. My, my own guy has been telling me now you're talking about it. Thank you, Mary. London, Paris, Rome, Jordan, New York, Moscow. Travel around the world with the Open Mind Entertainment Network. Tokyo, Cairo, Berlin, Beijing, Jakarta, Rio de Janeiro. Just a few of the places where you'll find the Open Mind Entertainment Network. In every computer around the world, Internet Radio has truly come alive. Today is September 11th. It'll be firmly planted in my mind, and I'll ask you right now, where were you? At this moment in time, where in the world were you? There is, There are horrors in this world. There are things that happen that are beyond our imagination. Why these things happen, there's no real explanation. Violence, sadness, evil, sometimes greatness as well comes from these events. But for me particularly, as I look back, I was supposed to have been in New York and I would have been staying at the Marriott Hotel and I probably would have been first thing in the morning doing what I normally did when I was in New York, going up to the World Trade Center, to the top of the windows in the world, and having a really bad coffee, but just to watch New York wake up. And then I would have gone down to the lobby and continued my day. A series of events on that day stopped me from doing that. I think it's one of the things that we, we find in our lives that we sometimes forget just how destiny plays a part in every moment and every second of who we are. But lest we forget. I found myself in a situation that every time I tried to book my ticket to go and see my friends in New York for that September 11th, actually te- September the 9th is the date I would have been out there. I just couldn't seem to put it together. One moment it was a problem with my credit card, and then it was a problem with the, my online booking, and then it was a problem with the airline, and it, this went on. I've always believed if things happen in threes, you're not supposed to do something. So as much as I was looking for that September in New York, which, by the way, is the most beautiful time, I found myself, well, thinking of other things. I realized I've got some painting to do and some things to take care of, and... I thought, well, you know, maybe I won't. I'll just stay back and maybe go next year. My friend Violet pleaded with me to go back out, and I chose not to. I'd just moved into a a new business, and we were painting the office that morning. I got up early, and I had the radio on, and I'd taken a small portable TV with me. And the first call I got was from my friend Violet. She lived in Tribeca, and she said, turn on the news, turn on the news, there's something happening. I'm, I'm running away, I'm running down the street right now, I'm trying to get to the school. The son went to Tribeca School. I had no idea what was going on, I put down the paintbrush, and I remember quite distinctly switching on this little old TV that I had, and then there was a fire, a terrible plane crash. And as we began to talk, and I checked and said, are you okay? And remember, this is not in real time. TV is delayed, but she's there. She's actually in the street seeing all this go happen. Another plane hit. I didn't hear it. I just heard the shock in her voice. 
and the sheer panic. People were no, no longer running in any direction, all directions. And what really hit me was not long afterwards was the towers coming down. We literally we lost transmission at that point, and it was several. It was almost a week and a half before we communicated again. But I felt like I was involved in some way, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, the shock hit me, and I realised that I was supposed to have been there. They talk about PTSD, and they talk about the effects of witnessing something or even being exposed or being around something that can affect you or directly being in the in the form of battle they talk about the shocks that we see car accidents falling down the stairs all these things can affect us and stay locked into our psyche but when the weather begins to change and there's a cooling down and we get into that first week of september something hits me it's a connection to everybody in New York on the East Coast. I can feel my heart going out there. I start calling people and checking in people and wanting to see how they're all doing. I want to feel something. I don't want to feel what happened. I want to feel some way of maybe fixing it. Maybe there's something I could have done or said. There's a tremendous amount of guilt around me because I didn't know any of those people directly involved, but I at some point come in contact with them for my regular trips to New York. I don't think I really understood how much I loved New York until that point. And you either love it or hate it. But it was at that point, that moment in my life, the clock stopped. Or they say your heart skips a beat, that your life changes. September 11th was to change me forever. And every year I get a reminder about the value of life. So when this week unfolds, and especially today, I look back and I think all, all, all completely of all the people involved, but I also think of all the people that got involved because they were the emergency services. They were the people that went in when everybody else ran away. The firefighters, the police officers, the doctors, the nurses, and just people that were brave enough to want to go back and help somebody. I value life more now, I believe, because of these events. But more importantly, being a medium involved in the spiritual world, I take heed from this. Because for the time before, there were all these things telling me something was wrong. But not one part of me was listening but I tell you what, from this day on, from that day on, from that moment on, my heart listens and my intuition is sharpened and my awareness has grown. Next week we'll have somebody come on, uh, Lila, Lila Reyna. And she is um, an instructor. She teaches self-defense, but she teaches awareness. And one of the things that fascinates me about these instructors is how they have to take you on a journey of actually opening your mind and being aware of what's around you. I wonder what it takes to wake a person up. It took September 11th to really shake me to my core and become more determined than ever to be a full US citizen. It was the driving force that made me really want to be part of this country. I felt I had to, had to become a citizen to somehow alleviate the pain of all those that suffered. I was very fortunate. I didn't lose anybody I knew directly. 
I did work with a lot of the firefighters afterwards, and I spent a lot of time in New York doing what I could, which seemed so small and so insignificant considering the huge amount of damage that was done in that area, not just to the property or the ground, ground zero as they called it, but to the minds of the people. But I will tell you when I went there, just a few weeks after, how quiet New York was. There was no horns honking, nobody screaming, no loud noise. Everybody but for a moment was in this flux. You call it shock, call it grace, call it understanding, call it connection. I ask you to not look back in sadness, but to look back in the changes that these peoples whose lives were taken have given to us and the power that they've given to us to look forward to our own lives. I ask you to live your life with commitment and with power. But the most important thing is, I ask you not to complain today, not to complain that you don't want to eat the same meal again or about your life or about what's going on. I want you to be grateful for who you are and the fact that you're still here and didn't have to make that decision. Do you jump or do you burn alive? For on that day, normal, everyday people were given but two choices and neither one of them was a good choice. My heart, my prayers, and my soul go out to all those families that have lost people in these events and many others around the world. I don't think that I'm qualified to fully understand the power and the horror that these things have created. I don't think anybody can fully understand unless they've been through that or seen it. And right now, there are many firefighters, many policemen, many people that were involved in emergency services that were directly there at the moment and saw things that we can't even imagine. It doesn't take much to maybe next time you're in a Starbucks and you see a police officer come in to go and buy him a hot chocolate or whatever he wants, buy him a donut, buy him, you know, whatever that guy is there for. A, a, a firefighter, somebody, and excuse my prose right now, but somebody that is of service, the police get a bad rap. But you know what? When something happens, who do you call? Who is it that runs towards the fire and doesn't run away? Who is it that's first on call when there's a horrific accident? Who is it that holds the mother's hand when a child is drowned? Who is there? I'm a spiritual person. And I, I talk a lot about angels, and I talk a lot about energy, and I talk a lot about uh, amazing and wonderful things. But tonight I'm going to talk about the spirits that have passed. But I'm also going to talk about the real angels, the ones that are walking, the ones in uniform. And whether you agree with me or not, and that's your choice, I will tell you that a people that are dedicated to making sure the streets are safe. There are people that every night drive around, not knowing whether they'll get up in the morning to see their children, to spend time with their families. This time of year, more officers get shot, more firefighters are attacked. I don't know why, I can't explain it, but I can tell you it does happen. Are you willing, just for a moment, to spare a little bit of change to make a donation towards some 
great cause to help one of these fallen officers, to help support them and their families. And by the way, they don't get paid particularly well for the horrific work they have to do at times. What does it take for you to wave or smile? To stop for a moment, to slow down, not speed, to not be one of these people that creates something that is not good for the people around you, but to actually use the word respect. If each one of us, each one of us took a moment to salute an officer, to pat them on the back, to say thank you, that it's alone is the greatest gift someone in service can have. Whether it be a soldier, whether it be somebody driving an ambulance, an ER specialist, a doctor, all these people that often get forgotten have a great value to you and your life and your children and your family. Can we get our selfish heads from looking at ourselves and seeing how beautiful we are and not even thinking about this day today so so many people have let it go by as if it never happened? I'm not one to dwell and never have been. I'm a person that has learnt over my lifetime that I have to respect the energy around me. I heal, I help, I support, I guide and I believe. I ask you now, tonight, to dedicate some time to someone of service, past, present or future. Do you know somebody close by right now that has been in the military or has been an officer? Send them a text, give them a hug and tell them thank you. Do you know someone who's involved in this horrific day? Just reach out to them, send them a letter remind them that you're still there and if you're someone that's been affected by this my heart goes out to you and you're welcome at any point to call in to ask questions and just to get a friendly ear because all of us are proud and supportive of all of you this is the talk with andre show and everyday miracles on september the 11th 2000 19. I believe in angels. I believe in the grace of God and the beauty that surrounds us. I don't follow any particular religion, but I do believe that all religions are going in the same direction, hopefully. Whether you do or do not believe in something greater and higher, something good, something gracious, that is your choice. But for me, having that belief helps me get through the moments when I feel a bit depressed, a bit lost and a bit scared. It helped me deal with the understanding of what happened. I do not understand the rules of the universe that well because it seems that it's a cruel place at times, a harsh place. When amongst all that darkness, in amongst all that difficulty, there's something really beautiful 
something really, really amazing. And I think it's called love. I think it's called truth. I think it's called the light. I'm a practitioner of energy medicine. And over the years, one of my greatest gifts has been to allow people to find themselves. In the process, as I've worked hard to discover more about my gift, I've had this strange thing that happened not that long ago in the rather short life that I have. And that was I became a medium. And I'm not talking about my shirt size. I see dead people. The problem for me, what I see, is not what the average person sees who does my work. I see them exactly the way they used to be. As crazy and as wild and as wacky as they once were. I, in my lifetime, have come across incredible things. Incredible things. Things that I've yet to fully be able to explain for myself. You can call them miracles, but I think they're more than that. I think that they're a reminder to us of the incredible world that we live in and how when you're at your lowest point, it normally means you're about to start on a new journey to climb the highest high. As I've travelled around the world and I've worked in a lot of countries, I see one huge common denominator. And that is that people are very much the same. They want the same things. They want to be part of something wonderful, incredible. They want to be able to feed their kids and have a roof over their their heads and, and just have the things that we all want. I don't find it easy to hate or have hatred in my heart. In fact, it doesn't really exist there. I have frustration. I sometimes think people are jerks. And I sometimes think people should be a little bit more careful about what they do and care more about the environment, and the list goes on. But the reality is, what I really care about is our interactions with everything around us. How can I instead judge somebody, find a way to make them aware of what is greater? And just because I do this work doesn't mean to say I always get it either. September 11th, 2000 was like running into a wall that has always been there, but you have been looking down so much you never saw it. It made me realize the real value of life. It also made me realize the horrors that people can do and plan just to make a point. They can self-sacrifice their own lives. They can... They choose to do things in a way just to make some point, which is long forgotten. Some which is destroyed, all because somebody needed to be heard. So I learnt from that point to pay attention and do something which is actually quite hard. You should try it. It's called keeping your mouth shut and listening to what a person has to say. Letting a person express themselves whether they're a stranger, whether it's somebody who is angry, a brother, a sister, a cousin, an aunt, a parent, or even a lover. And try to understand their perspective. You don't have to agree with them. But you can also pay attention to where they are. Maybe they're misunderstanding. Maybe they're right. 
it doesn't really matter who's right or wrong. What matters is someone's had a chance to express themselves. You know, I, I see expression as something that has been so contained today that people aren't allowed to express who they really are. And yet people will argue with me till I'm blue in the face and say, no, everybody's got more expression, more freedom than ever before. We can do what we want, say what we want. Really? Have the roles reversed so much that depending on what background you're from, can you really express your real thoughts? Can you really say what you really want to? Can you be angry for a moment and not be judged? Can you make a mistake without not being plastered all over social media? Not really. As we end this day, I want you to think about a person that maybe needs a nice hot cup of tea, a chai latte, or even a martini, just to sit down and to talk. Do you have the ability to listen without giving advice or telling them what to do? Just listen. It's so funny that so many people choose to become spiritual teachers, and yet their role is not to really help anybody but themselves. They want to fix everybody. They want to feel good about themselves. They're choosing to do it because they want to feel, I hate to say it, special in their own way. I ask you to value your life, to understand who you are, and more importantly, to learn how to listen, not just to the people around you, but to what you need. Today I was lucky enough to sit at the board here with Amberly Largo, and one of the callers that called in was talking about her routine. And in her mind, her routine was really beneficial to her, but she was giving to everybody and not to herself. And I watched how Amberly handled it and basically made this woman aware that she wasn't really doing things for her. She was doing something for everybody else. As I sat there, I felt a tear roll down my cheek. And I realized, gosh, how many of us get up in the morning and we do everything else for everyone else around us, but we don't really take a moment to walk, to exercise, to take care of ourselves. And the ones that do, God bless you and well done. Because maybe you're just as important as everyone else around you. Maybe you deserve to be taken care of and spoiled. Maybe you're as valuable and as needed as the people that you believe deserve that. Maybe you deserve that. Maybe it's time, this day, this moment, to just be grateful that you're still alive. And that you'll wake up tomorrow with a chance to do it all over again. So you may have messed up today or in the past, but you could wake up in the morning and start a new day, a new set of things, a new way of living. But can you forgive yourself? And are you ready to walk a new road when others simply cannot be there to even step on the dirt? The young woman that came to see me was fresh off the boat, basically. She had just arrived in Arizona and originally was, her hometown was New Jersey. 
it was one of those days when I'd had a very busy day and I was seen a few clients and it had been a various different things to somebody with a head injury and then all the way through to somebody that was having some spiritual problems and it was quite a collection. And if anybody's ever worked with me or seen me in my clinics, we cover the gamut of everything. She was different. There was something about her. She had crystal blue eyes and, and the best way to describe crystal blue eyes is they're not really blue there are lighter blue, but there's a, almost like a, a glint of light in those eyes. It's a shine. And when they walk into the room, you feel absorbed into that. But there's also a coldness and a sadness. I remember her hair being tied quite tightly back. And she seemed to have aged before her time. And sometimes when I'm working with people, I never quite know what's going to walk through the door. Sometimes it's a spiritual reading, sometimes it's mediumship, sometimes it's healing, sometimes it's just good old-fashioned common-sense advice. But immediately the room went cold. And I know when there's a temperature change, we have a powerful spirit that's coming through. The first thing I noticed was a, a silverish badge. And I began to describe what I was seeing, and she just nodded her head and didn't say much. And then I had a firefighter come through and we had this, this overwhelming sense of anger and being upset and, 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 I, and I felt this very strongly coming from her. So I asked her, did you lose your husband? And she just nodded as a yes. And then those eyes lifted up and I saw the lids get a little bit larger and she stared at me as if those eyes were penetrating my soul. As I carried on in detail, I shared with her some of the things that I was seeing. And then I realized that this man had been involved in something big. That his life had been taken away very suddenly. I had no idea at the time exactly where in New York this man was, but it began to add up. And I'll leave it to your imagination what came next. Uh, there's a certain shock. I didn't really want to talk about it. I, I felt a little embarrassed but he was determined to get the message across. And it wasn't a soft message. He basically told her to get out of her own way. Almost yelling from the spirit world, telling her to get out and meet somebody and do something. And I'm sitting there listening to this. I thought, how do I tell this quite fragile woman all the things that are coming across? So I stopped for a second. And I said, is there anything you want to say? And she started talking about how she'd given up and about losing her husband and the horrors. And they'd just been married all but a few weeks. And then it quietened on the spirit side. And I just decided to tell her everything that was said. I don't know what point that she got up to walk out, but I think it was several times. But then she would turn around and sit back down. She was tapping her foot at one point and then her hands... And almost like she didn't want to hear it, but didn't want to stop me from talking. I pretty much got off his chest everything that he wanted to say. And then he mentioned something that was very unique. He talked about the coin in Atlantic City. And that's when those eyes filled with tears and she began to cry. Apparently... On the day that he proposed to her, he couldn't find the ring. So he took a coin from the casino, one of those little coins that you get, little plastic ones, and basically used that to propose.
No one could have possibly known that. And that's when she really began to listen. As his energy faded and he stepped away, I felt this tremendous amount of love and connection. But I also felt as if she now had freedom to pursue her life. She thanked me and she left. And I thought that would be the last time I'd see her. I wasn't expecting ever to hear from her again. Often people come to see me once to get their advice and it's enough for them to, for the rest of their lives. But a month later she came back. I didn't even recognize her. She was wearing a bright dress. The eyes were no longer that crystal glass-like eyes, but they were a strong blue. The hair was not tied back so tightly, it was looser. Her skin seemed different. She seemed different. We sat down, and I waited for the spirit to come through, but nothing came. No spirits, no darkness. All I had was advice and, and gentle kindness. And I realized at that point there'd been a completion. No longer was spirit there. No longer was that spirit holding on. He'd let go. For she had found a new man in her life. A new possibility. A new chance. It's hard to describe how you feel, at least in my position, when these things happen. But you feel as though you've made a completion. There was no burning bush, there was no big tablets, flashing lights, appearances. Just a simple man expressing his heartfelt love, but saying it's time to move on. She listened, and I wonder how many times he tried to reach her. But for some reason that day, she paid attention. I'm not the kind of person to give bad news or to be direct, but I laid into her pretty hard on that day. And that information is what she needed. That's exactly how he would have been in her life. After she left, it was time for me to head home. And I got into my car and jumped onto the freeway. And just as I was driving along, I heard the noise of a, a fire engine behind me, so I pulled over. And it went racing past me, lights flashing, followed by an ambulance and a police car. And I suddenly realized it just, it, it just hit me. And I looked down and my shirt was wet. The tears were running down my face. I hadn't really understood how much it had really affected me. But it did make a difference. I know I'll never see this woman again. Maybe she's listening to the show. And if you are, hi, please call in. But what I do have is something in my soul again has made a connection. I wonder if in our lives at every moment there's a point where the things that surprise us or happen out of the blue, whether they're good or bad, are purely there for us to live a better life. That we are, we get comfortable. We forget the dangers. We almost become, well, that gerbil running around on the wheel, that hamster going from side to side but getting nowhere. We've become too secure. And maybe the spiritual world is there to remind us there's such great things out there and we need simply to wake up. I ask you again, are you listening? For your body, your mind and the world of spirit are talking. And whether you consider yourself to be a spiritual teacher, whether you do Reiki, whether you're someone that's connected in some way to all this, 
you might not be practicing what you preach and you might not be paying attention because sometimes the things that you're feeling aren't always exactly true they're merely indications and you have to listen deeper and rather than react pay attention The Native Americans believe that the wind talks. That when the wind blows from a certain direction, it carries the conversations of their ancestors, warnings, guides, happiness and love. Right now, as seasons change, the winds will pick up. The Santa Anas will begin to rise once again. Inland winds and gusts will appear. I wonder if the universe talks to us. I wonder if the planet shares a story. I recently heard of somebody that when they went into their garden they noticed that their apple tree which was now way past its prime had been there for forever in the home over there in Pennsylvania even before they even moved there this apple tree was there no idea who planted it or why they planted it but it was old now and they felt as though the tree held stories that it would communicate with them and I know this is going to sound really crazy but they actually believe that this tree this apple tree bared magical fruit for every time somebody had a cough or a cold or felt sick eating those apples which they kept all through the winter they stored carefully in straw they made apple pie out of them they made cider so many things with this apple tree that now it's time for the apple tree to go she said to me that it just seemed to say no more fruit, that I've lived my life and it's time for me to move on. But at the side of the tree there was a sapling that had been growing for a couple of years and that, that little sapling was now quite tall, about several feet, and they noticed blossoms, lots of blossoms. Well, that season, the storm came through and the apple tree cracked in half and eventually broke fully and fell to the ground. The winds whipped it around as if the earth was saying, it's time to join us, to come back. Husband went out and cleaned up the mess with the chainsaw but left the tree exactly where it was. They took a piece of it and made some furniture. They kept it in the house and today it's still there. But the apple tree wasn't gone, for what was left behind was the sapling that was now growing. And now that is quite a big apple tree. And once again the cycle of life goes on. In relations we often go through phases where we are fully blossomed, that we are fully invested in the fruit of that relationship and how important that is. And then one day it comes to an end. And no longer is the blossom there or the fruit on the tree. For some people, they stay and die with the tree. For others, they say thank you and move on. Your problems, the things that have happened to you, previous relationships, things that have been bad or good in your life, 
are often just stories that unfold to tell you to look further, to take the next journey. I had a conversation recently about retirement, and I don't see retirement as giving in or giving up. I see it as a next adventure. And I wonder whether, if you look at your life, and you have pain in your life, if you look back, is that really pain, or is that you holding on? Can you let go? Can you move forward? And can you live your life all over again? Recently, I've noticed more people singing. I drive a lot on the 405 here in Los Angeles, and I look over and there's people just yelling and screaming to whatever music they've got playing at that time. I've noticed a trend for people to sing. More people are talking about it, more people seem to want to do it. Even people that haven't really sung before. Music is becoming the lifeblood once again that courses through the veins of our energy fields and allows us to breathe. On this day, September 11, 2019, could you find a place to go where there's musical sound? Could you sing, not for you, but for all those people that are no longer with us? Could you take a moment as we head into the end of September into October, which is the curtain between life and death, the dark and the light, when all spirits come forward? Could you actually reach into your soul and sing for the universe? And I wonder whether singing or connecting to your voice is not just simply a way of expressing ourselves, but might actually be truly healing. And if we all sing together, what a beautiful song that really would be. You've got to find your own way. Wow, powerful words. But what does that really mean? Does that mean you've actually got to work for your spirituality? You've got to work for change? Does that mean you can't just sit there and read a book and feel miserable and hope the world will bring it to you? You've got to make effort? Absolutely. Does that mean you might have to pay attention? You might have to be aware? You might have to say to yourself, Oh gosh, I need to make changes. Does that mean that you have the power to do that? And despite all the inconsistencies in your world and the fears and the blocks, that you can beat those things. Does that mean that you're gifted? Does that mean if you really step into your own, into yourself, into your world, that you become something even greater? You become your true destiny. People talk about destiny, but in my belief system, in what we do here, we believe that everybody has a destiny, but people screw it up. That they start off with going to be the tallest, strongest, most powerful person energetically in the world to save thousands of lives. And then it's like, oh, look at that shiny thing over there. I really need to have that shiny thing. Oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. And they get distracted. They even make choices to really put themselves in a bad place. That they throw up their own roadblocks because they don't feel as though they deserve something that's great. For every person that I've met that has been successful, there has been a point when they've had to decide it's okay to find success. I look and I see, I sense and I know, I change and I be. Every single day I'm doing something a little bit different. I think I'd get bored if I wasn't. All I want to put out there tonight is that not long ago, a huge amount of people lost their lives. 
and preceding that there was wars there was bombs there were terrorists there was horrors that have affected so many lives guess all I'm asking is you to pay homage respect and even a bit of courtesy to those that have suffered that might not be considered to be PC right now I might be completely off my rocker I don't know but if I have a problem and I feel threatened and I see danger I'm going to be pretty damn grateful if one of those people turn up and help me and I'm not just talking about the suited ones the ones in uniform I'm also talking about the angels how can you expect a miracle if you don't believe in them in the wind that blows through our lives for the changes that come through you've heard this the winds of change so maybe this is the time today to really think about those real changes to step into the grace of who you are to move forward and live your life to its extreme utmost ability to grab life and allow it to live and allow it to grow and to listen to what you want and then listen to other people people may not agree with you and i remember when i first came out and told all my friends that i um well i see dead people um i think i'm psychic i lost half my friends i came out and people ran away and left me it took me a long time to really keep on going because i thought well maybe this is a bad idea i don't lose friends i don't want people to not not be my friend anymore because i'm just seeing things differently but i kept on with it and i decided just to pursue it more and more and as i did that i realized that i'm odd and i'm strange and i'm weird compared to what other people do that my job is not normal my life is not normal and for many people it's very uncomfortable but i had to find comfort in my own skin i had to find faith within myself i had to find something great within me and now i'm of service not for myself as much although i do care for myself and take good care of this physical body i'm in service of all those around me that in a way just need a few kind words or often just they need somebody to sit there without judgment without advice without telling them what to do but just to listen to them so they can work it out for themselves listening my dear friends is one of the hardest things to do but it's not impossible I'm busy. I've got to get things done. I'm in a rush. I'm late. And yet I'll still stop to talk and have a brief conversation with a person. I'll still take a moment, sometimes driving people crazy because I'm never on time. Because sometimes a few words can mean so much. Just to remind you tonight, if you are listening after the show, and actually between now and the magical hour of nine o'clock, if you go to the Open Mind Radio website and you take a little look, there's a place there to actually join us for a little workshop. After this, there's a small charge, 
and all that money goes towards the station and helps keep us on the air and pay for things like batteries and microphones and every time I break something I can afford to fix it. So if you want to join us a little bit later and you, you're not going to fall asleep on us and you want to see me live and interact with me, then you need to actually, be, uh, about it closes at 10 to 9, so now you need to go on and, and book it, make a little payment, come join us, come share the grace and the beauty and get to see me in action and also ask me questions. Please make them clean and make them decent because last time we had these crazy women on. i got to tell you, they were so much fun. I actually laughed through the whole process. So come on, give us a giggle. We want you on, we want you on air. Back in just a few moments, you're listening to the Talk with Andre show, 818-921-3767. That's 818-921-3767. The lines are now open. And I'm actually going to bring in our engineer, Ishan, to talk because we're going to talk about some spiritual things. And uh, we're going to share a couple of stories here. So if you're tuning in, um, come join us. And if you want to ask some questions, feel free. But Ishan's going to ask me a little bit about what I do, and I'm going to try to explain. So Ishan... Um, you, you've been around me a little bit, and I know you said you got some questions for me. You wanted to ask me about some of the sp- weird spiritual stuff that you've seen me get involved in and do. So what kind of questions can I answer for you? What do you need to know from me? Well, you know, I do have a, a boatload of questions I could ask you, but <laughs> being that this show is dedicated to those who have passed on on the other side, and I think kind of as humanity... A question is, what is the other side and what happens after death? And there's just one instance I was reading about at the at ground zero, just in the rubble after the buildings came down. Mm-hmm. The first responders who initially went in, those who were still standing, they actually came back to the site and they were looking for bodies and looking for different um, things that had survived possibly or ways to identify those who had fallen. Yeah. And there was a story that many different first responders had shared um, unbeknownst to the other. So it was proven. But what they saw was the figure of a nurse dressed in World War II era, um, like Red Cross uniform. And she was standing there holding out a platter of sandwiches. And just as the individual would begin to recognize what he or she was seeing, this figure of the nurse would disappear. And I guess I, I would just like to know um, if you've heard anything similar to this or uh, what your take on this is. Well, I actually worked with a lot of people on, that were on site, and um, there's many stories, and, and this particular one about the nurse is probably the most talked about of all because it wasn't one sighting. Um, I know at least six different sightings of this nurse, and they all described her as being a nurse probably from, probably from the Second World War, very sharply dressed. Everything was cornered. You know, they had, they had their clothes, um, and it, it was it was pretty amazing um, the detail. And each person didn't know necessarily the other person, but they would share they would share their mm-hmm. stories, a little detail. But I think that um, it was very common after September 11th for people to have um, spiritual contact. And there's a lady that um, I spoke to, and she said that her son who was unfortunately working in the World Trade Center and was killed there, um, that she actually got a call the day after from him um, on a home phone. And she picked up the phone and um, she, she heard his voice and he was just saying, hey, mom, it's all okay, I'll check in with you later. 
And she put the phone out. It was early in the morning. Didn't really think about it. And then realized that, that he, was, he, he died. And then, so she had all this hope that maybe he'd survived or got out and they were going to find him. And it, 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 she, she really, because his body was never found, she really believes that he's still there with her. But the phone call, was, she was so clear. Hmm. But she also knew it wasn't him, as if it was disembodied. So I think that there are events that happen all the time that we, we just don't fully understand, um, that the spirit world is maybe closer than we realize. And it's so strange that September 11th happened in September, for all spiritual people know that from the 1st of September until the latter part of February is when we have more ghost sightings, more spiritual things, it's because the weather changes. And the energy is very different, so spirits are more apt to come through. So when we get events, especially around this time of the year, I think we're probably going to see more things, and more, mm. more, especially more spirits. And uh, people talk about ghosts, and I think it's, first of all, I have a, an, a, a real dislike of ghost hunters. I think, uh, I, I think it's great to, to pursue and go out there and, and be interested, but sometimes I think people stir things up that they shouldn't mess with. And... I always caution people, if you're into that kind of, if you're into the spiritual stuff and into the ghost, ghost hunting, go along with respect and don't mess with what you don't know. Because I have a story that relates to this in New York, in Tribeca, where a couple of people went to actually find spirits. They, 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 were, they, were, they were so-called ghost hunters. And they tried to pursue what they thought was, were spirits after September 11th. It didn't end very well. I'm not going to go into detail, but you don't mess with things that other people's lives have been affected in such a dramatic way. Right, and, and I imagine it must be uh, very dramatic in a, in a site such as 9-11 and Ground Zero, and I'm sure uh, Europe as well after World War II and the Great War. Um, from your perspective, when you go to somewhere like uh, Ground Zero, for example, do you see more activity than normal, or is it... Um, is it similar to what you see on a daily basis in everywhere you go? Yes and no. Um, I wouldn't say that I've seen any more activity than I would consider to be uh, normal in that vicinity. Um, I don't feel comfortable there. Um, I think it's because of my connection to it. And uh, I have seen the memorial, and I'm just I'm absolutely overwhelmed by what happened and mm. the sadness. Um, uh, well, how do, you, how do you go about healing a place like that? Because there's so much loss, there's so much pain, grief, and suffering as a city, as a nation. How do you... I don't think you should. I think um, it's there as a reminder. And it's a bit like a ship that sinks. There's all these people that think, you know, that we should go down and explore wrecks and so on and so forth. And I think that, that's fine. But sometimes when people have died in a place, it is, it is a huge funeral. It is a mm-hmm. huge burial site. And maybe we should just respect it. Right. And maybe we, lent, we need to learn more respect for, for, for things that happen in our lives. For me, going back to that site, it's a reconnection to something that, is, that has happened that I could have been part of. And there's not a day that goes by when I'm not reminded of how I could have been. I, would, I stayed at the Marriott Hotel. I would have gone up to the windows of the world. I would have been there about 9 o'clock. Mm. I would have had to make a choice. Do I burn alive or do I jump out the right. window? I mean, what a... It's a horrible decision. I mean, there's yeah. no there's no right way. And there's also stories of people that seem to know, they had premonitions, um, that they might not be coming back that day. There's a story of this one woman in particular who 
who uh, ended up writing a lot of letters to close friends and families and even um, reconciling a few relationships that had gone badly over the years and really forgiving everyone. And this this was just days prior to 9-11. She ended up being one of the ones on the doomed flight that went into the tower, but she knew it. She may be not coming home. And, and why do you think we get this? And how do we know? How do we know? Well, I think the biggest thing that I can say to you is that um, it happens more often than you realize with people having premonitions about their own lives and possible deaths. I think we are more connected to the spirit world than we realize and that we are, we're actually intuitive beings, but we've learned to shut it down because of practicality, science, whatever it is. But every major scientific discovery ever is through intuition. Even the discovery of the double helix for, uh, by, I think it was by Walton, for uh, what we now know as DNA, he dreamt that design and that pattern. The next day he wrote it down, and it was the discovery of DNA. Hmm. So I think we're intrinsically somehow involved in this world in, in a way that we don't fully understand and that spirituality and the connection to it is we we know our own mortality we can sense it it's whether we want to i mean who most people don't want to know where they're going to die right well and, and also you often speak of a multi-layered universe so what is your take on parallel universes and are we simultaneously going along while another one is traveling right next to us or is that, i mean is that the dimension that we go after death well, I believe that we have, my, me personally, that there's three linear parts of our life, the mind, body, and spirit. And depending on which phase we're in is which destiny we choose. So uh, a lot of people disagree with me, and there's people that, that say the destiny's set and this is what's going to happen to you. But I've seen people change the course of their lives, that they've been brought up in a certain situation, and their destiny's been set, but they have become more educated, they have worked out more, they have become more spiritual, and they've completely changed everything around them, including what their parents did and what other people did and so on and so forth. And I think, mm. me personally, I see there's three linear ways to go. But I also think there's dark areas, that there's areas in our lives that we should really focus on to change. And maybe what we change today affects tomorrow. So even though we can't necessarily change the past, making better choices is what we need to do. Right. And... and also, it's really interesting with um, with spirituality. It seems like there is a set of laws, and you talk about paying respect to the spirit world. And um, can you explain, I mean, in the best of your ability, and I know this is a loaded question, but what what is the universal law? How, I mean, how do we... It's really quite simple. Um, over the years, uh, people like myself and, and some of the greatest minds in the world have tried to explain the universal laws. Einstein, towards the end of his life, was looking at these universal, the more the quantum uh, way of looking at the world, that there are rules within rules within rules. There's also, for me personally, um, I have uh, seven laws that I follow, and basically they're all common sense, that there's certain things that you cannot do. For instance, one of the rules is that every living creature uh, strives to, to protect its young, to protect itself. So if you attack a cancer, you attack a disease, it's going to go into a defense mechanism. So I, in, in healing, we believe in not attacking something, but working with it to change it. And, and then the other rule is that nature is more powerful than man or woman. So it doesn't matter how powerful we think we are, how big our plane is. A bird strike, one bird can bring down an airliner. Mm. You know, a, a, a leak in a ship, a natural, uh, an iceberg, for instance, the Titanic took out the Titanic. So 
we have to respect nature and not think that we are better than nature. So my, my personal theory has always been, look, just keep the rules simple and understand that the universe has rules that may not work in our lives. For instance, who wants to die? But one of the universal rules is you have a, a life expectancy of a certain amount of years. And nobody wants to, it's like, hey, who made that rule up? I want to live to be 2,000. But it's a, it's a law that we can't break. Right. We're getting better. We're living longer than we did. But at, at this point, it's a rule of nature that we have to follow. And there's an interesting experiment, and this is really uh, just came current. I was actually talking to somebody the other day uh, with this genetic engineering of people and cloning. And there's been a tremendous amount of uh, genetic work done with fish, especially salmon. And there are people that, when they eat this salmon, have literally convulsions or reactions to it. Wow. And there's nothing physically wrong with the salmon. But there's, there's a belief that whatever this cloning is doing, it's changing something that affects certain people. We don't, not everybody, they can eat it quite happily, mm-hmm. but some people, same with GMOs, certain types right. of foods, environments get affected. Well, you know, it seems like if you're, if you're cloning someone, whether it be a fish, uh, a dog, maybe, maybe you clone a person. Um, so you can clone the physical body, mm-hmm. but what happens to the soul? Because each individual being, whether it's, uh, I, the way I see it is a, a tree, um, a dog, a, a cat, an animal, a lizard, a human being, we all have souls within the vessel or physical body. Mm-hmm. So when you clone something, what happens to the soul or is the soul just non-existent? And then say you eat that like a fish, um, it, it seems like it's a very empty space um, or or an empty vessel. Well, I think we're lab rats, and I think we've been the things have been tested on us all the time that we don't know about, and we've been watched very carefully. There's a recent report about facial recognition, actually picking up on certain types of people to look at their body weight, to look at the their skin tone, and see how their skin's reacting, and also match that to the products that they buy in shops. And it sounds futuristic and scary, but it's actually happening right now. So I think that what I would say to you, at least from my opinion, is that, um, yes, most definitely, unnatural things have unnatural consequences. Now, I know I'm going to get slammed. I know I'm going to get yelled at. But I remember mad cow disease. And mad cow disease was caused by us feeding meat to cows, which, by the way, are herbivores, and in the process, not treating it properly, using awful, the, the, the worst waste products, treating it with ammonia, cleaning it up a little bit and feeding it back. And by the way, that's what pink slime is. So pink slime um, is really the same thing that could, may have caused mad cow, I'm saying may because I don't know for certain, but this stuff that was fed to us and is still being fed to us, it's just not being called pink slime anymore, is actually the, un, the badly processed foods, the waste that nobody wants, that's soaked in ammonia and then treated at a high temperature and then fed back to us. So I, I don't understand why that's been allowed, but it's, it's all about profit. It's all I can think of. But what we feed to our animals and what we do to the creatures around us, let's just say that that fish is fed to a cat. The cat can't talk how it's feeling. The cat can't tell us what's going on. But maybe when we change the DNA of something, when we consume it, is it not possible that that could change our own DNA? I'm not a scientist, and no. I know that someone's going to call in and they're going to say, well, I oh, you know all this stuff, and blah, blah, blah. Well, it, maybe you do, but 
you know, you're the same guys that were saying just a few years ago, oh, Pluto's not a planet, it's, it's a ball of gas. And then you were saying it was a planet, and then you were saying it's a ball of gas, and then it's a ball of gas, and then it's a planet, and then it's... I mean, come on, guys. You still can't resolve a simple equation, which came first, the chicken or the egg. <laughs> so scientists out there, and you engineers, until you can tell me, really tell me, which came first, the chicken or the egg, I'm still going to question your science. One of the things that you do, you actually, you offer a, a pendulum class. And, and in this pendulum class, and I know this is a bit of a segue, but you, you teach people how to use it to see what is good for, it's basically a way of tuning into, and maybe you can explain this better. You can check if, if a certain type of food is going to be good for you. So, mm-hmm. so although, like you were mentioning, the cat can't physically say and speak to you, that, hey, I'm not feeling good because this fish you gave me... Unless you're an animal psychic, and that's a whole... Right, <laughs> right. Well, you've demonstrated how... Actually, there was a story. Um, with with a cat, you were able to resolve that it was the food that was causing the illness, and mm-hmm. just a simple switch in the food uh, was able to resolve the, the issue the well, cat was having. let's take a look at ourselves. And we're told that we have to look a certain way, and then we have to be... We have to be good at something and we have to probably be pretty or tall or handsome, whatever it is that we need to be. And the fact is, sometimes the most beautiful things are the things you can't see. A person's soul is an amazing, incredible thing. But what would happen if we all suddenly realized that we have this sensitivity to what's around us? So allergies are a sensitivity. But what happens if people have a lot of allergies actually have a lot more ability with a pendulum? Because if they can sense they're allergic to grass, for instance... Would it not be possible for you to hold a pendulum and your body react when you're anywhere near that grass, even without touching it? For I know people that are allergic to peanuts and they can walk into a place and not even be anywhere near the peanuts, but no, they shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. So the, the pendulum is an extension of your kinesiology, of your sensitivity, and absolutely dowsing works. And the facts are, and I'll give you a fact number one, most of the major oil wells that were discovered in, in the early 1930s in America were found by dowsing, not by engineers. The biggest production of wells of water that were discovered in the Midwest and California, especially Carmel, were not found by engineers, were found by dowsers. Wow. Most of the gold deposits in Northern California, up there in the hills, in uh, around Grass Valley, Nevada City, were found by Cornish dowsers, who specialized in dowsing for gold. And I believe, and I, I, can't, I can't verify this, but there's a story that the big, one of the biggest producing mines in California, which I believe was the Empire Mine, was discovered by a drunken guy dowsing with twigs. Hmm. Literally, the guy was out of his head on whiskey, and he found the biggest gold vein that's wow. yet been discovered in California. Now, um, that actually brings up a question. Um, when we're talking about respecting the spirit world and... Is there a line that can or cannot be crossed when you're using that sort of thing for personal wealth or personal uh, achievement, such as finding a big gold mine, or is that for the betterment of humanity, or how does that... It goes into a gray area here, and we call it the stupid line. So we have a lot of people that go and spend few hundred dollars and get to take a course and think that they can you know, become a dowser and <laughs> so on and so forth. It's a natural gift. You either have it or you don't. And the thing about this is that Yes, you can find minerals and you can get personal gain for it. But there's a belief, it's called the the 10% margin, and that is that you should always give, if you find something through spirituality and you're lucky enough to to gain something, you should give it 10% away. And that has pretty much gone on for thousands of years. Even the Egyptians believe that. So 
the problem is, is when greed steps in and the person doesn't do anything with that money other than self-loathing. And, I, and, and one of the things I will... There's a great story. In, in, back in England, this was when I was about 17, a gentleman won a tremendous amount of money on what we call the football pools, which is basically a lottery. And over in the UK, there's no tax on your winnings. So he won, I think, £50 million, which is, in today's money, was, was actually American money, is about $75 million. And actually, that value today would probably be worth $200 million. I mean, it was a huge amount of money when you could buy a house for 2000 so to speak. What happened is he went out and did every vice you can imagine. He had prostitutes, he did drugs, he did everything for one week and by the end of the week he was crashed and killed in his car hmm. he lasted a week because he just like instead of like doing anything good with it he was going to blow it and he was going to do all the things he didn't want to do he walked away from his wife he was cruel to his kids it was in, within a seven day period so he went from point A to point B to his death the most unhappiest man in the world you can have a ton of money but it doesn't bring you happiness and if you misuse good fortune the karma that comes back is never good. That's my opinion. Mm-hmm. And it seems like karma, as you said, really is a thing. But I, I've seen the best of people in the worst of circumstances, and that must just be because we have to learn something. Um, well, it depends. You know, Is it a person in the worst, worst of circumstances, or are they a person that needs that lesson to become an even better person? Uh, my life is not easy. I mean, I, I have all the challenges, the traffic, the dealing with bad people, dealing with with negativity, often having to fight to, to even to survive and to get paid. And it's so funny that often some of the people that are the worst payers are the ones with the most money. So, and I don't live to the extremes. I live a very simple life and I'm very careful about how I do things. It's very monastic in a way. So here's the thing that really I would say, uh, at least for me from perspective is, I never feel sorry for anybody. I never pity a person. I believe in them. And if a person's really lost or alone, there's someone out there to help them. And I've had people come to me that have been destitute. There's a lady in Phoenix that um, she came home one night and there was a little piece of paper stuck on the side of a cup and she's got two children at this time and, she's, and it was her husband and he said, I want to tell you for a while that um, I'm not reading to you anymore. I've run away with a next door neighbor, which was a guy by the way. And, oh, and also, I've emptied the bank accounts. I haven't paid the mortgage for three months. And I have HIV. All that in one note. So she calls me bawling. I'm on a radio show down there. I said, let's meet. So broke as I am, I, uh, as always, give away some free time. So I sit down for a coffee with this lady. And we, I think it was actually, <laughs> if I remember correctly, it was uh, a very bad cup of Lipton's tea. That's a long <laughs> story. And um, I spent three hours talking to her. And in the process... She hadn't really got, she hadn't got a great job. So I asked her what her hobbies were, and it turned out photography was one of her hobbies. So I said, well, I have a friend who's, who's, who's going to be getting married. Can I introduce you to them? And she, she did that. She did whatever, and she went and did the wedding. They liked it. They hired her. She ended up owning a chain of shops, photography shops, that specialized in architectural and weddings. She sold the company a couple of years ago now for over a million dollars. Both the kids went to college. The husband died. And even though she, had, she did have HIV, it never became full-blown. And she lived a normal life and still living that normal life. And the thing about that was that she, she worked damn hard. I mean, she, she was out there with that camera that had been sitting gathering dust that she never used. Do you know how many people buy cameras? Mm-hmm. And they look at them and go, oh, this is too complex, I can't use it. 
she she went out and she taught herself. I mean, people complain about the most stupid of things. I don't have enough. That's a word that I hear. I don't have the latest iPhone. I need to have this. I need to have that. Where is the gratitude for what you actually have? For your job. You might not like your job, but at least you've got a job. What about you might not like your hair, but at least you've got hair. I mean, luckily mine's still there. It's falling out right <laughs> now, but you know, after today. But Ishan, I think that people are so selfish that they don't have a lot of gratitude. And working with people that have cancer, working with people that are, are in the armed forces, working with people with limbs missing, damn, I'm humbled. Absolutely. I have no yeah. complaints. There's nothing about my life I can say is bad after seeing that. It, it's, it's extremely humbling. And, and especially here living in L.A., I think um, it's kind of the epicenter for uh, a, a, a self-centered outlook. Well, I, I hear from people all the time, I'm not following my spiritual path. I'm not, I'm, I'm not doing, I don't have the right job. I'm not in a good place. I'm, I hear all these stories, all these stories, and I look at them and I go, I've just been sitting with parents whose child died yesterday. I'm dealing with a, a six-year-old child that has cancer that nobody knows what kind of cancer it is. I've just sat down with a woman who's lost a horse after 15 years, and you're sitting there and you're, you want to be spiritual, and you're complaining about not following your path, isn't part of spirituality realizing you're already on the path and be gra- and gratitude? And the moment you find gratitude in your life is the moment you truly become spiritual. Mm. It's all the complaining in the world, all the fear, all the concerns about other people and what they think about you, all the I don't trust myself or the people around me, all that I'm being judged, all that stuff means you've not found your spiritual path yet. Because if you really out of a spiritual path, you'd have faith and know everything's going to be okay. I love that. I absolutely love that. The moment you find gratitude, the moment you find spirituality. So I, I often, when people shoot texts to me or, or call me or leave messages that aren't of any value, I just don't respond to them until they realize they can fix it themselves. The, the greatest power of a spiritual teacher is to know when to give it back to a person so they can learn for themselves. Because if every problem gets fixed, you're not going to be able to live your life without being dependent on somebody. That's what happened in Jonestown. All those people that, and the mass suicide, Mm -hmm. every one of those people there really believed that they were going to be saved by another person. The ones that escaped are the ones that suddenly realized, hey, I need to do this for myself. And sometimes I wonder, do we hear that from the spirit world as well? I mean, that sense of intuition that, hey... I mean, first of all, you have to have that within yourself to get up and and have that self-worth and self-respect. This is segueing a little bit back to um, the beginning of our conversation. We were talking about the spirit world. And uh, basically, there was a story in World War I where a gentleman was in the trenches and in in the horror of war. And, and of course, they had the, the mustard gas, I believe it was. So they all had these hallucinations and, and half of them went crazy just because of that. But there's multiple stories, and a professor at the University of Canada did this study where he went through all these soldiers of the World War I, went through their diaries, and so many of them had had spiritual experiences dubbed as hallucinations. Mm-hmm. Um, but these hallucinations saved their life. So, for example, this one, one gentleman was sleeping, and he was awoken by his brother, who had died a year earlier fighting the same war. And he was just so happy to see his brother. He had to, you know, stop himself from yelling out in joy. And anyways, the brother said, grab your gear, 
we're going now. And he was just half out of it, half asleep, half hallucinating. And went out of his trenches, walked outside, and just as he walked outside and cleared himself, a shell hit the uh, the trench that he had been in. Well, you know, I will tell you that that is a common theme, not just for the Second World War, the First World War especially, but even lately in some of the experiences that I've had with soldiers that have recently been through Iraq or even the Gulf War, the same stories. But I personally think the spirit world is laughing at us because it, it looks at what we value in our lives and it's not until we're close to death that we even value our life. I mean, there's people doing drugs. There's people sitting right down there smoking pot and, and even people taking drugs to kind of to experience spirituality. No drug in the world will open up any doors. The doors you open yourself. And people say, hey, Andre, have you done ayahuasca? And have you done this? And I'm like, why would I do that? Well, that's how you find yourself, man. And I'm like, no, you don't. You're taking an hallucinogen, which is not going to allow you. Now, there's a lot of arguments about this. And for some people that are really have a hard time being spiritual, they have to do that. They will do certain types of drugs, and it allows them to find their own level. And every single one of them claims it helps them. But it, what it does, it's a false sense of help quite often. And I'm not judging anybody here, you know, folks out there that are listening in. But for me, my drug is, and, and me being helping up, is to do the work that I'm doing. And when I sit down in front of a soldier, a young man, who tells me about a spiritual experience that he's never told anybody else, and I can tell him, well, actually, you just told me something that somebody else told me. And he'll say, wow, I know that guy. We were together. And they both had the same experience at the same time, but neither one of them ever, sh- ever shared it. That's when you know, wow, this is an incredible world. Mm. But the spirit world is laughing at us because so many people want to be spiritual. This is a curse as much as a gift. Knowing this stuff and being this way, it's a curse because you tend to only, I only give 5 to 10% of everything I ever see. Nobody I've ever met can take the full amount. Mm. They cannot deal with it because they can't even deal with traffic so when you start giving them information that's way beyond where they are they literally they they crumple mm. and and how do you personally deal with um because it must feel sometimes like the weight of the world and probably sometimes extremely beautiful too. the book two sides i, I cry a lot um i i walk a lot i stand on the whenever i can i get some solitude I, you know it's just it's part of it um, I feel useless a lot. I feel, especially when I'm dealing with children and they're pumped full of chemotherapy or things and there's nothing I can do and their laws are really biased towards the medical profession not to natural healing. Um, I have a lot of frustration, but I have faith. I have faith that I'm there for a reason. If somebody really wants me, they'll find me. And I deal a lot with trust issues. People, so I'll give you an example. Uh, recently, a gentleman came to see me and he was, he'd gone through every single process. He'd gone through chemotherapy, surgery, uh, experimental drugs, and so on and so forth. He'd spent thousands, some with his insurance company and some with himself. When he got to me, he was broke and angry. And he said, you're the last resort. Fix me. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And then he went on about the doctors, and he was yelling at me, and I hate these fraudsters, and I don't want to be conned, and I've heard people like you. Are. I said, well, we'll just leave then. I said, I, I'm not here to convince you of anything. If you don't want to be here, leave. So he got up and he said, you're, you're just a, you're a fake and you're this, that, and you're. Then he walked out the door. I'm like, okay, fine. A, week, a couple of weeks later, comes back. says, I, I want to talk to you. I said, why? I said, do you want to yell at me again? And he said, no. 
I had really bad back pain, and after that few minutes of sitting here, my back pain's gone away. I said, well, wow, does that mean you kind of let out some anger then and, and felt better? And then we sat down, we had a, a really good conversation, and by that, by that time, the healing process took place. Mm. But all his anger with the doctors, he couldn't go back to them and yell at them because they were doing the best they possibly could. But for a spiritual teacher, you are basically, you're the foot soldier, you are, you are the disgusting part that people have to go to. Sometimes being a spiritual teacher is like being a bathroom. We all have to go there, we just hate pulling the chain. Really, I'm full of secrets. If people knew half of what I do during the day, and it's so funny, uh, on weekends people call me and they're like, oh yeah, I'm on, the, I'm on the beach, I'm taking the day off and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of a hospital uh, covered in puke and uh, wanting to get home. And they want to have a conversation. They have no idea outside of their selfish world that other people are doing things. And I think if they were to stop and pay attention, when they're talking to a friend who may be depressed or sad, rather than offer them advice, listen. Do something that's so easy but so hard for some people. Pay attention and let a person talk. That's what I see you do so often. Um, just with your example of the gentleman who came into the room and had got to yell out all of his frustration. Um, I've seen that happen time and time again with you, where just by you being in the room, you inspire change. You're a catalyst. So what is it about you that even if it's something that you don't say, do you notice everybody in the room and do you know exactly what's going on? Or is it just the energy that works on its own? I would say that I'm pretty screwed up um, because I don't want to be anybody's friend. I want to earn the friendship. So that means kind of being honest and open and raw right at that point. So I don't notice everybody in the room, but I do try to pay attention to people in the room. I try to, I really try to be understanding about people and, and, and their needs. And I think it's, it's this natural wanting to make people smile. Not wanting to heal people. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm a healer, you know, for what that's worth. Uh, I'm a psychic for what that's worth. And I, I see dead people. Wow, wonderful. But what I'm really there for is to try to find the tools to get people to be happy. And my belief, and you could think I'm completely crazy, that if you have that energy of happiness and love and you have someone to talk to, you will heal yourself. And I know there's so much talk, too, about the placebo effect, because just the um, the idea that, oh, I'm being healed, and I know that you're an advocate of this, because if that works, why not, right? Well, no, what I'll tell you is, if, if, it, if, it's, if what I do is the placebo effect, why aren't hospitals doing it? Why, if, if, if I'm so effective, I'm 75% effective at what I do. If that's a placebo, then get rid of all the drugs, all the treatments, and bring placebos in. If placebos are that effective, then we should be using them. Because against some of the medical profession right now, we're about 45% successful. And by the way, this is a $120 billion industry right natural health, compared to $60 billion, which is the medical profession, basically. So we're seeing more and more people pursuing the natural health, doing homeopathics. So, okay, tell me they don't work. Why are people still taking them? Why people, is it all placebo? And if it is, then thank God. If we can think ourselves better, we don't need to have drugs. Mm. You know, this is, this is something that I've been curious about. There is a, such a rise 
of popularity for your profession. You've been doing this for years. You've been doing this way before it was quote-unquote cool. Um, <laughs> so why do you think, as a society, we're so open to this right now? And although some of it is unwarranted in some ways, could it be good that, as a society, we're open to these modalities of treatment and, and mindset? Unfortunately, I think it's power. And I think it's very popular right now because people can have control over people. The number one thing you need to be aware of is if you're going to see a spiritual teacher, take a look at their lives, look at what they're doing. And if they're not following, if they're not following the things they're telling you to do, you probably don't want to work with them. So if you're going to see somebody to stop smoking and they smell like cigarettes, it's probably not a good choice. The thing is that we, we're all spiritual teachers. We all have that power. But there's a certain badge of honor to some people. Some people are driven to it. Don't get me wrong. There are people like me that we just can't help it. And I've got a friend, and she's uh, right now, she's, her life has been turned upside down. She's had a very successful career, but she's, the spiritual world is pushing her away from what is a great career into helping people. So she's, uh, she's very unique in that sense. And I think that that's when it's real, is when somebody has a lot to give up by doing this. Um, that's a good way to test people. But I think the popularity of it, and I hate to say this, it's kind of a fashion right now, and I am trying to avoid being caught up in that fashion. You're one of the most practical people that I know. Um, you've, you were in construction for years. Uh, you've taken transmissions out of cars and built them just for fun. Um, you're, I mean, you don't smell like patchouli and wear uh, white robes. I have my days. <laughs> but, I, I mean... I shop at Nordstrom's and Nordstrom's rack and not go to the posh place. You'll see me in Ross. You'll see me um, shopping in Safeways. You'll see me looking for organics, which is quite hard in that place. You'll see me banging around Whole Foods. I do my own laundry. I do all these different things. I'm just a normal person with an incredible gift. And I think that this is the one thing that we all need to be aware of is people like me have been given this gift to serve and whether we like it or not, and I've fought this and I've tried to get away from this, I didn't really choose this. And I think that's when it's a person doesn't choose it, in a way, they're the chosen and they have a stronger ability to change things. But man, do we upset the people that really want it. Right. I mean, that's, that's with a lot of things. I think um, whether it's a God-given talent to play music, whether it's uh, uh, singing, acting, whatever it is. But with with you... It is an incredible responsibility, and it's really real because it just happened. But why? Why do you think you were chosen? I would say I was chosen because I'm an idiot. I mean, I think I'm, I'm too gullible for the spiritual world, and they screw around with me endlessly. I mean, you've seen some of my shows. The amount of naked butts and, and strange sayings that have come on my shows from the spirit world it's embarrassing. I'm, I've been told, and this is, I'm going to verbatim, I'm an embarrassment to the world of mediumship because I don't filter my spirits. <laughs> I'm like, are you kidding me? Now, actually, is, sorry to interrupt. Is that from the spirit world or is that from, this is from the people, physical, people this world? Profession. Okay. Apparently, I'm too coarse and um, I, I give too much information. And when people come through, I'm telling it the way it is. And that's, we're supposed to filter it and control it. I'm not going to control what people say. My grandmother... Man, if I try to control her, I would have got a thump in the back of the head. So I think spirits have a real right to come in, but I do test them. 
I, I asked them to tell me something that I could not possibly know, that only the person knows on the other side to prove it. I'm one of the few spiritual teachers that does that, or mediums, but I, I want to make sure that if they're really connecting to who they're supposed to connect to. Because do I trust the spirit world 100%? I trust God, I trust the angels, but I don't always trust the spirits that are coming through. Because sometimes the, there are manipulations, and I think people that do trust completely and don't test, they're asking for trouble. Mm. They really are. Yeah, I've seen you do that time and time again, where if if the spirit is not giving a validation, you just move on. Um, where it's not like, okay, this isn't right. Instead of trying to push it and put it on that person, like, hey, well, this is this is your Grandpa George, right? Or I'll say to somebody, I see a small brown dog. My cat died last week. Oh, but that must be it, right? It must be it. I'm yeah. like, no, that's not. It's this is not a cat. Well, it looks like a dog if you kind of stand back and you get the shading right, right? And I'm like, and, and that people will, they really want something so much. I'm like, no, it's not. And then all of a sudden, like the third reading along, like a few weeks ago, somebody comes up and I've described everything about that dog. That woman goes home. This was Teresa. And it's an incredible experience. The dog needed, needed mom. Mm-hmm. So, and, and, and twins, it's such a nightmare when you have a twin because often the person you see, you get all the reading for the sister or the brother who's the other side of the world. And that happened with an Australian lady, her twin brother, everything for him. She was so angry at me. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but he's the energy coming through. You're not important right now. Uh, bad choice of words. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was very, um, it's very illuminating. Is my job fun? Absolutely. Is it hard with that question? Is it worthy? Yes. Do people fully understand what I do? Do they even really care what I do? Not really. And just like a broken leg, you see a doctor, and once it's fixed, you never see them again. So if anybody's doing this for fame and fortune, or they want to feed their egos, good luck to you. The more you do this, the more humbled you become. I am humbled every single day by the work. Today I was super busy, and I took time to talk to somebody downstairs here at the the office, just because even though I had a lot to do, people are important. And I'm late all the time, not because I'm on purposely late, but I'll often sit in the car, have a conversation with somebody that really needs it. It's important. How many people take the time to talk or even to listen? I've seen that. I mean, on this show, even the amount of lives that you've been able to touch. I don't know how you do what you do. I don't want to do what you do. I respect it with everything that I am. But I I think, if anything, the, how you affect other people with your work validates every reason you've been given this gift the amount of people that you've touched and helped is is incredible i don't want anybody to do this work unless they're called to it i mean i i think that if you're called to this you have no choice but to do it and i am so lucky to be surrounded by people that are following the calling one of my dear friends and also works me as a publicist is just like she's called to do and to help and support people i have so much love for what she's doing i have um, in my relationship with the people around me, I have people that are just they're just they're just dynamic and do things. And even with you, Ishan, I mean, it's just watching you. You you haven't done drugs. You haven't. You got yourself. You paid yourself. You worked through college, and you pay for everything yourself. You you're someone that you know bought your own car. Nobody there was no sugar daddy giving you that. I mean, you've done everything you've done. Is you've had to work for. That's the kind of people I, I, I associate better with. And I think that. When it comes to true spiritual teachers, it's not about spirit. It's about the spirit of something, the spirit of people. 
And there's nothing better when you take a young guy who's about to go into a gang or about to screw up or a young girl and you get them to change their lives and do things differently. You, you change the future. Barack Obama, love him or hate him, his grandmother got him off his smoking weed, got him out of his stupid phase and made him into the person he is today. And again, let's not do politics. Let's just talk about grandmothers. His grandmother put love into him and belief into him and changed his life. How many grandmothers are forgotten about? How many grandmothers? My grandmother was like, she, she, could, she taught my sister to take out a transmission and change a tire because mm-hmm. she was in, during the war, she was a fitter. She also worked on Spitfires. She taught me to knit and sew. I hated it. But I can sew a button on, I can iron a shirt, and I can cook a casserole. My grandmother left me with a legacy. It's, I, I've, I've heard that there are women that can't cook. And here we go, all the feminists are going to be yelling at me right now. Mm-hmm. But if, you, if, you're not, if you're a woman that cannot cook or a man that cannot cook, you have relied on somebody else for your food. Every vegan, every vegetarian eventually has to learn to cook their own food. And I think what I'll say to you is that why wait for other people to feed you? Why not start to learn about Learn the basics. Learn things that you can just even boil an egg. But damn it, stop being reliant on people and don't say you can't do something. Do you remember you and I, we had that conversation. I went to Ikea and bought furniture. Mm. And I gave you a, a screwdriver and a, and, a, and a wrench and said, go do it. What, was your, what, what, what happened? Well, I think I originally said, I can't do this. And then I um, <laughs> that wasn't the language I remember. But I'll <laughs> it's like, Andre, get out of here. Um, well, I sat with it long enough and realized I could do it. And, you know, that led to a lot of other things that you realize you could do. But speaking of uh, grandparents and older generations... I have so much respect, and I know we're running out of time here. My grandmother and my grandfather taught me to do, and similar to yours, I think doing things for other people and doing things for ourselves that we don't mind what other people think is so um, fulfilling. And really quick, because I know we're running out of time, my grandmother has the most beautiful garden that I've ever seen. She plants plants all over in the deepest corners where no one's ever going to see, and I, I asked her, why do you plant them there? And she said, it's not about what other people think. It's about the plants and it's about the peace that I find when I'm in this garden. So if I can learn anything, it's just to, to do it for the spirit of doing it. To follow on from that, my grandmother, we lived in an industrial town, but she had a small garden and it was broken into four squares and she'd rotate the plants. She did crop rotation basically. And that garden fed us for most of our childhood. She, she would plant, she would put cabbage or lettuce in and it would be huge. Everything she did was luscious and good. My grandmother was somebody that just believed in the power of nature. And what's happening right now, we, people talk about nature and they talk about how it's important that with the environment. But most of the people talking about it are the biggest contributors towards its damage. So I think that one of the things that we all need to do is, is stop talking and start doing Start volunteering, grow your own garden, uh, maybe uh, get a ride with somebody in so that you, you're reducing your carbon footprint. But more importantly, if you want to be a spiritual person, listen to your soul, and if you're called to do it, there's no judgments from me. I don't care who you are, I don't know whether you're a gang member or whether you've got... It, it doesn't matter. When you're called to do service, pay attention to it. Tonight's show was dedicated to all those people in September 11th, the families, the friends, and those that passed. 
You've been listening to the Talk with Andre show and at Miracles in Everyday Life. And tonight we had Ishan on asking questions. And again, I just want to thank everybody, everybody that is going to join me tonight after this for the workshop. But I also want to thank all those people that have found the love in the hearts just for a moment today to stop and think about those that passed on one of the worst days in American history. Good night to you all. God bless. May God be with you. And may you find the spirits of the angels following you around so that when you wake up tomorrow morning, it will be the best day ever.